Ephesians chapter 4. As we come to the conclusion of chapter 4, let me begin with something Robert Murray McShane once said. He said, and I quote, It is not great gifts that God blesses so much as it is great Christ-likeness. It's not great gifts that God blesses so much as it is great Christ-likeness. If nothing can glorify the Father more than the Son, according to Scripture, what would honor and glorify God the most than having His Son image stamped upon our hearts? The more we become like Christ, the more we glorify the Father. Because nothing can glorify the Father more than His own Son. And in Christ saving us, it's not, and I don't want to belittle this, it's not merely to save us from sin, but He saved us to purify unto Him a people. And in saving us, it is God's desire that His Son be conformed more and more in us. That's why Paul says in chapter 5, verse 1, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ has. Nothing can honor the Father more than when Christ is manifested in our lives, in our conversation, our hearts, our character, our conduct. To know all the doctrines of our most holy Christian faith, yet not to be more Christ-like in character and conduct is purely vanity. And to me, it proves the old sin of Adam that man still desires the tree of knowledge above the tree of life. If I have knowledge of Christ, and yet my life remains unconformed to Him, what good does that knowledge do? And I believe it's implanted into the heart of every true believer by the Spirit of God when we're saved and regenerated that that be our greatest desire is to be more like Christ. We learn and we desire to know more of Christ that we might show others Christ through us. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. The Apostle Paul doesn't place these words of exhortation at the closing of this glorious chapter 4 of Ephesians because they're of less value or significance. But on the contrary, because these words of exhortation in verse 32 and all the way down to chapter 5, verse 2, remember in the old days there was not chapters divided. It was one long letter, one long epistle. But they were put here because of their significance. Because these words of exhortation are very, I believe, the climax of what the Apostle Paul has been exhorting every true believer 
to throughout this entire chapter. I believe these closing words are the very climax of what Paul has been saying. That's why I'm glad we read the whole chapter during our uh, our song break. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. It's the climax of what Paul has been exhorting the believers unto in the entire chapter 4. Beloved, they are the very pinnacle, the apex of this entire chapter. The culmination, the crown, the crest, if you would, if you would, of the true believers walking worthy of the vocation wherewith we have been called in verse 1. He begins there and ends with the climax of it. The culmination of all that. This is what I'm talking about. Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Be ye therefore, because of what I said, followers of God as dear children. Notice these wordings, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. But be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Verse chapter 5, verse 1. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Paul's exhortations to be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, and walking in love stems not from one meriting or deserving such acts of kindness and compassion. He doesn't say do these things because the ones you're being kind to and tender-hearted to and forgiving and loving merit this or are worthy of this, but do it because of Christ. He said do this out of your knowing what Christ has done for you and His great sacrifice and offering He has given for you. Even as God, verse 32, for Christ's sake, verse 2 of chapter 5, as Christ hath loved us, To know Christ, beloved, and His great sacrifice He gave for us is to know and exercise kindness one to another, tenderheartedness, forgiving one another, and walking in love. For such, Paul says, are truly followers of God as dear children. You know, I'm reminded that as Christians, sometimes we can be very selfish in our thoughts and our ambitions concerning the things of Christ. We want these things for ourselves. And oh, we rejoice in the fact that Christ loves us and forgives us and is tender with us and compassionate towards us and long-suffering and patient. And we rejoice in that. And oh, we plead God would show us those things more and more. We, we, we heap those things upon us saying, look how good God is to us. But in our text, Paul is actually saying, if, if you know that to be true, if Christ does all that to you, if God's forgiven you because of Christ's sake, if you, if you love because Christ loved us, then, then do it to others as well. Show others the same compassion and tenderness and love and mercy and grace that you're receiving. Show it unto others. So that tells me the more I learn of Christ, the more I'm going to reflect these virtues, these attributes of which Christ so wonderfully and graciously bestows upon me. We are often so selfish. 
when we fall short in sin, we go to God and we pray, God, please forgive me. You know I didn't mean to. And we desire and long for God to forgive us. We desire and long to be assured that God has forgiven us. We want to know that Christ has forgiven us. The psalmist said, blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. We want to know those things. And yet when someone falls short against us, when someone sins against us or faults us, are we being just as long-suffering and patient and kind towards them as we expect Christ to be towards us? The expectations are high here. We can't practice these things. We can't exercise these things without knowing personally and intimately Christ's own love and God's own forgiveness towards ourselves. It's impossible. Forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you or us. Kindness and tenderheartedness? Yes. These help nourish and stimulate forgiveness. It's almost as though these lay the groundwork. He says forgiveness lasts. Why? Because kindness and tenderheartedness actually stimulates and lays the ground for forgiveness. Because if we're kind and tenderhearted, it's much easier to forgive. Yet our forgiving one another must not be in accordance to man's understanding or man's limitations. But as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. In other words, beloved, I'm getting ahead of myself, but this exhortation to forgiveness far excels anything the natural man of himself could ever do. Because he says, you forgive one another as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us. In other words, only those who know something of God's great forgiveness in Christ can ever exercise forgiving one another as God. Natural man knows nothing of this sort of forgiveness. It exalts this exhortation to a very high standard. And I believe the measure of our being able to forgive others is going to be in accordance to how we understand God's forgiving of us. If we think little of it, if it doesn't cross our minds, if we forget what it took for God to forgive us, we can be so impatient and uncaring and unkind to others who sin against us. Oh, may God help us to be reminded how much we have to be forgiven of in order that we might forgive others. Sinful man forgives for self-satisfying, prideful, arrogant rewards. He does it for himself. Sinful man will forgive for himself. And there's always something he looks in for it. He always wants something for it. He wants a reward for it. And he always does it out of self-satisfaction, pride, and arrogance. That's how sinful man forgives. And even then, his heart and life remains untouched and unchanged. I'm getting ahead of myself, but how did God, for Christ's sake, forgiven us? He's thrown our transgressions away, and he's restored us into fellowship with him. You see, most Christians today are willing to forgive, but where's that restoration back into fellowship? I was looking the other day, I was, the Lord's kind of just laid on my heart about the Good Samaritan and and that whole context there of the Levite and the priest. And 
looking and moving on. Then comes the Samaritan. The Samaritan to a Jew, they hate each other. What a contrast. The Samaritan comes to the Jew, and you know the parable, I believe, but the whole thing started because a man wanted to justify himself for loving his neighbor the way he wanted to. That's what it, how it starts out. The man wanted to justify himself and said, well, who's my neighbor? And I've been around long enough and been a Christian long enough to hear the voices of many Christians who say, oh, no, my responsibility is purely to the brethren, to the house, household of faith. I have no responsibility to love or have compassion or be kind or tender-hearted toward the lost. No, only to the elect. What nonsense. Sinful man forgives for himself. But if we forgive as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us, we also wish to restore reconcile, bring back into fellowship. The forgiveness Christ teaches those who have, verse 20 and 21, heard and learned of him is never out of merit, selfishness, or pride. We never forgive because they merited it. We never forgive because we're selfish. We never forgive because it's pride. Paul says forgive as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. And how hath he forgiven us? Free, transforming, based on Christ's merits. And always reconciling. God's forgiveness is always reconciling. God forgiving us is always bringing us back into fellowship with himself. That's a biblical divine truth. When God forgives us or when we want fellow or forgiveness, it's because we want to be brought back into fellowship with Father, with the Son, with the Holy Spirit. We want to be brought back into fellowship. The forgiveness the Bible demands of a Christian is not simply saying, I forgive you and nothing changes, but I forgive you and we're restored back to fellowship. Anything short of that is not as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven us. God's forgiving of us as true believers wasn't because of any merit or deserving in ourselves, but for Christ's sake, on His account, on Christ's account. And the Holy Spirit emphasizes even as God, for Christ's sake. Hath, he wants us to understand what measure forgiveness we needed, even for Christ's sake. It doesn't just simply say, even as God hath forgiven you. No, he, he puts in there, for Christ's sake. He wants us to go back to Calvary. He wants to see the sacrifice. He wants us to understand the depths that God had to forgive us. And if we are reminded of that, if we know that, Beloved, it's no problem of forgiving other people. When we see the depth of forgiveness God gave to us, and yet we still seek to justify our not forgiving others. Oh, this, this third virtue here in verse 32 is extremely exalted here in our text. And, and on all my Christian life and all my years of ministry, I believe this is one virtue which has always been the greatest struggle for most Christians is the ability to forgive as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven. I'm not saying they don't forgive. They had a saying in Germany with Germans, but it's human nature everywhere, so my wife don't get upset at me. But 
that they had a a way of forgiving but not forgetting. Oh, I'll forgive you, but I ain't going to forget you. Well, that's sinful nature. That's in all human nature, just not in one. And we tend to do that. We We say we forgive, yet we don't forget. Remember once I had an outgoing with a brother years ago. I think it was before I became pastor. And it was, you know, it was pretty, pretty strong debate or outgoing that we had outcome. And so, long story short, we, we stayed in the church. It was in, in the church after services. We even locked the door. We locked the door and wouldn't let each other out until we settled it. And we talked about it. We prayed and we said, okay, we've settled it. And some seven, eight years down the road, and I was talking to that same brother, had another difference of something. He brought that up again, and I said, I thought we already went over that. I thought you'd forgiven me of that. Oh, oh, well, I have. Well, evidently you haven't because you brought it back up. So it didn't. the forgiveness didn't go as far as it should have because you, you forgave superficially, but you didn't forget. You didn't reconcile in your heart and your mind with me. That's the goal of forgiving is to reinstate, to reconcile. That's the goal of forgiving, not simply say, oh, I forgive you. And I believe that's why the Holy Spirit says, even as God for Christ's sake, he exalts it very highly, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. He's forgiven you. I mean, just to contemplate on those words, he's forgiven you. God, the Almighty, the thrice holy God, who cannot look upon sin for Christ's sake because of his great sacrifice, God has forgiven you. That puts no limit or boundaries on us forgiving others. There's nothing there. He doesn't even say if they deserve it. There's no preconditions here. He just says forgiving one another even as God. He doesn't say if you feel they're sincere or they're humble or if they're genuine. He says, no, forgive them. We'll see a little bit more of that later on in the Gospels, but this is the very foundation of it. This is what stems should our forgiveness stem from, a knowledge and an awareness of how God has forgiven us. Look in Colossians chapter 3. Paul says it as well in Colossians. Colossians Ephesians echo a lot. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Colossians 3, verse 13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel, a complaint, that's not even really a sin, that's just a complaint. If any man have a quarrel against any, here it is again, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. Isn't it amazing when it talks about forgiveness? It never tells us to look how men are forgiving, but always to be reminded of how Christ forgave you. That's how we are supposed to forgive on how Christ has forgiven us. Never on how man forgives us. Never on man's expectations or our own expectations, but forgiving one another as Christ. It always directs us. It's amazing how it always directs us back to ourselves. It's almost as though God says, you're just as guilty, if not more, than they are. It's almost like what the Lord said with uh, when you're trying to correct your brother, don't forget the beam in your own eye before you take the splinter out of your other. In Matthew it says, if you have your offering uh, and you're going to the altar 
and you're clear with God, and you're ready to worship God, but you know that a brother hath ought against you. He said, don't bring me your offer. Well, wait a minute, God, my heart's clear. Sounds like Cain, huh? My heart's clear. I want to come to him. God says, no, you know your brother's not right with you. He's, not, he's got ought with you. Don't bring me your sacrifice. Hey, but it's not my fault. No, you know he has ought against you. You lay down your offering, and you go reconcile things with you. It's not my fault. God says, it doesn't matter. You go and reconcile. You see the significance Scripture puts upon Christian reconciliation and forgiveness and how little this generation of believers do? It's sad. It's heartbreaking when we fall short of what the Scripture demands of us, expects of us. Nothing is more Christ-like than forgiving God's forgiving of us as true believers was and is never based on merit or warrant, but solely for Christ's sake. Listen to me. God's forgiving of, of us was never and is never based on merit or warrant, but for Christ's sake. Our forgiving of others, according to this text, is never on their meriting it or deserving it, but on Christ forgiving us. So we forgive them. That's to be like God. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is a forgiveness this world and sinful man knows nothing about. But we should as Christians. You say, but that carries a great sacrifice with it. Yes, it does. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. And what did they do to him? They punished him. They beat him. They mutilated his body. And they hung him on a cross. All for what? So that he might be a savior. That he might redeem his people from their sins. It cost him to forgive us. It cost him everything. Should we expect anything less if we're to follow Christ? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Oh, he's talking to the elect underneath the cross. He's not. Uh, look at Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. I'm sorry, I said 8, 18. Matthew chapter 18. Stay with me a few more minutes. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. This is on the heels of, if thy brother trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault. Verse 15. This is on the heels of that. Matthew chapter 18, verse 21. Right after that, Peter says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how oft shall my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Oh, Peter, ain't you humble? Okay? My brother sinned against me, and I forgive him till seven times. Jesus said to him, I say not unto thee till seven times, but until seventy and seven. Four hundred and ninety times. On the heels of if your brother, brother trespass, Paul, Peter says, My brother sins against me, how often shall we? We're all familiar with this text, but by putting this high number on actually 
on what Christ says. He's not saying that's the limit. He's not limiting it. Who, whoever had to forgive somebody 490 times a day? Nobody. In other words, the Lord is saying unlimited. Unlimited. Well, they've just done this one too many times. I'm never going to forgive them for that. No. Oh, if God were to say such a thing against us. How many times have we approached God with the same weakness and sin? Those sins that so easily beset us. How often have we gone to the Father for the same sin? God, I'm here again. With the same sin I was yesterday, last week. God, be merciful. But when we, almost like the parable of that guy who forgave the debtor and then he leaves and the guy asks him to forgive me, he says, I'm not going to forget you, but he put him in jail and Christ was mad and angry. The master was mad at him, so we're putting you in jail. Why? I showed you compassion and mercy, and yet you did not show it to another. So often we're the same way. We want God to forgive us now and to do it now and give us an assurance of that. We want to feel that. We want to know that. And yet we're not willing to show others that same compassion and long-suffering and patience that we desire from Christ. That's not to be like Christ. Look over in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, verse 3. Now watch the wording here. The Lord says, take heed to yourselves. Now remember that. Take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee. You notice he didn't say take heed to your brother. He says watch yourself. If your brother trespasses against you, watch your own heart. Rebuke thee. Rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Most people come here and say, see there, if he doesn't repent, I won't have to forgive him. That's not what Christ is trying to say. You're trying to justify yourself again. That's not the sense of what Christ is saying. Why? Watch. And if he trespass against thee seven times a day, and seven times in the day turning into thee saying, I repent, I shall forgive him. Always be ready and anxious and desirous to forgive. Always be ready. Why? Because how often do we do we seek forgiveness from God? It was John Bunyan, I believe, who said, I commit enough sins in one hour that God would be just in sending me to hell forever, even as a Christian. He said, if it were not for the blood of Jesus Christ. How many sins do we commit? David said he couldn't count them. If thou should count sin, Lord, who shall stand? We are always, always, as Christians, asking forgiveness. And I hear the hyper-grace crowd saying, well, that's your mistake. You don't understand the doctrine. I'm not. If we confess our sins, if we say we have no sin, we should be familiar with forgiveness and receiving forgiveness. God give us grace to be familiar with giving it like God does. Love of the spiritual damage, heartache, and sorrow which an unforgiving heart can create amongst God's people is unspeakable. That's why we have so many church divisions and schisms. Everyone seeks to justify 
why they're doing what they do. Few seek reconciliation and forgiveness. And I stand amongst those who are guilty, just like I believe all of us, if we searched our own hearts, have been guilty one way or another of this. It doesn't change the truth of Scripture, right? And when it's neglected and ignored, beloved, it brings indescribable harm unto the church, but especially to an individual to whom is not being forgiven. That's why earlier in our chapter, Paul said, be angry and sin not. Let not the, the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't be angry about a, before, a, against a brother or sister. Don't let, your, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. He exhorts us already earlier of that. Don't, don't do that. Don't, let, don't be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Don't give place to the devil. Let me, let me show you something in Psalm 32 as I try to wind this down a little bit. Preachers are always winding down. Psalm 32. I want you to, want you to see this. We all know this passage of Scripture. It's very familiar to all of us. But I want you to see this passage of Scripture here. Look at Psalm 32. This is the result of the penitent Psalm 51, after David repented about his sin with Bathsheba. This is the evidence. This is the fruit of that penitent Psalm. Verse 1, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Now that's in respect to the relationship of God. It said, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. It's blessed. And it is a blessed state. Uh, do we not agree with that? It is a blessed state for a child of God to know this. Well, don't you think it'd be a blessed state as well if we practice that among ourselves? When we grant forgiveness to another brother, and that brother says, this is blessed to be forgiven. I'm, this is blessed. If it's blessed to be forgiven by God, should it not also be blessed to be forgiven by one? Is it not a blessed state? Are we not denying our brother and sister who offended us, who've sinned against us? Are we not denying them a blessing by forgiving them? That's part of Christian life. You forgive them. Just as we sin against God and seek forgiveness, Christians will sin against one another. They'll make mistakes against one another. It happens. But there's a blessedness like it is between us and God. There's a blessedness of us forgiving one another. Do you know that also encourages and strengthens the church? Listen to me. This here in verse chapter 32 tells us that God can take our confession, give us forgiveness, and we can grow from that, and we can learn from that. A church and Christians grow from forgiving one another. The church grows stronger. To say that we will not disappoint, fail, or sin against one another is to fool yourself. And sometimes the church requires a cleansing in the area of forgiveness and reconciliation. It's part of the Christian life. Not only between us and God, but between us and one another. And yet this is so often neglected by Christians and therefore so many divisions and schisms. Spurgeon said it best. He said this, and I quote, To be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison with it. But yet there is one thing sweeter still, and that is to forgive. As it is more blessed to give than to receive, so to forgive 
raises or rises a stage higher in experience than to be forgiven. To be forgiven is the root. To forgive is the flower. End of quote. And that's what Paul says. We see that in Paul and in Scripture. Forgiven is the root. The flower, the blessings, the evidence, the fruit that we know what forgiveness is is when we're so willingly ready to forgive others as Christ is willing and ready to forgive us. That's the greatest evidence that we know something of Christ's forgiveness. As God hath for Christ's sake forgiven you. Beloved, nothing nothing destroys a Christian's spiritual joy and happiness more than an unforgiving heart. Do you know that? Nothing, nothing proves our being more Christ-like than a forgiving and loving heart. And nothing destroys a Christian's spiritual joy and happiness more than an unforgiving heart. It hinders us as Christians to grow. This is what the Lord meant when he said, talking about the prayer, when he says, forgive us our debts as we forget our debtors. That was the emphasis of that. To experience the height and, and unmeasurable goodness and joy of God's forgiveness is based on how much we're ready and willing to forgive. And so we do. Well, what should inspire us besides Christ forgiving us or God forgiving us for Christ's sake? What should inspire us in closing to seek to forgive one another as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven us? And I'll close with this, Ecclesiastes 7. In some ways, I thought I should have started with this, but I, I believe in, in closing this, this brings it even more closer to home. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 and verse 20. This, this, is, this is why as well. The preacher says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. That's why. Christ has forgiven us of all our sins. And I believe that's why the Holy Spirit of God had Paul pen phrasing the way he did. Forgiving one another even as God hath for Christ's sake forgiven you. Look how much he's forgiven us. And forgive one another. Oh, I pray God would help us to practice this. And beloved, I, I really want to encourage and exhort us all that we would strive to live up to this in, in all things in Christian life. And, and I hope you, you take this as it's meant to be said. But in all things in Christian life, there's a little bit of hypocrisy in all of us. An old preacher said one time, if we could but live our prayer lives, we'd be all godly men. It's important that we strive for this always in our Christian life. I was asked this last week, or we was in our job, by our administrator for all the department heads to write down one particular job that we think that we can improve to make our job better. At first, I was against it, and I thought, I'm here to do my job. I'm here to work. I'm not here to give my personal feelings and but I, the more I thought about that throughout the week, the more I thought, you know, that's not a bad idea. But when I began looking at it, and I, I do a lot of jobs at the nursing home, and I haven't given him his answer yet. I've got to write it all down. But came to this conclusion. I said, there's only one simple answer to this. I said, everything. 
because I, I don't separate my Christian life from my walk, from my normal life. My Christian life, everything needs to be improved. There's not one thing in my Christian life that doesn't need to be improved. You're saying, preacher, you've, you've lived the Christian life for over 35 years. I'm telling you, Paul was right when he says, I've not apprehended. There's not one thing in my Christian life that doesn't need to be improved. Everything needs to be improved. Same thing on the job. Every job I do could be improved. There's not one thing that I can say I do well. And the things that I do do well in, it's because of Christ. He gets the glory for it. He gets the honor for it. Paul's not expecting a state of perfection in this. That's why he says forgiving one another, even as God. Why? Because it's an ongoing thing that we exercise ourselves in. Being kind and tender-hearted. It's not something that we one day achieve and we have it all. No, it's constantly growing in that and cultivating that. When Christians cultivate these virtues, this is what older Christians should be doing. They should be cultivating these virtues so that younger Christians can say, hey, we have an example an example of what Christianity ought to be. Let them not despise your youth, Timothy, but be ye an example. <laughs> and so should we. So it's not coming to a state of perfection in these things, but striving to be more perfect in them, which we should pray for. Until Christ comes back and all things shall be made perfect and well. Amen. God, give us grace. Amen. Let's sing Ephesians 4 in closing. Brother, if you'll lead us.